Guys, with great excitement, we are starting Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Also, I want to encourage you, uh, if you don't own a Bible, is we have Bibles to give you at the back of the sanctuary. Feel free to take one of those. They're uh, for free. And as we're studying through the Bible, uh, for you to be able to study on your own. Also, uh, if you'd like a little bit nicer of a Bible, there's a few Bibles for sale uh, right in the foyer outside of uh, that door. Uh, And even more than that, I just want to encourage you to be studying God's Word on your own. And I'm kind of uh, preaching to the choir a little bit on the Wednesday night uh, crew, uh, but Wednesday night and Sunday morning, Wednesday night and Saturday night, it's not going to be enough to feed your soul. And so God really wants to speak to you personally uh, through the word. And maybe tonight as we kick off this study in Genesis, it could kick off your own personal study. And to read through uh, the book of Genesis, read ahead and study, but seek the Lord on how he wants uh, you to study. But it's a real prayer of mine in my life and in our church and our community is that there would be a revival and the hunger for God's word because God reveals himself uh, through uh, his word. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll start Genesis chapter 1. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it reveals yourself to us. It feeds us. And God, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. And as we kick off the study of the Bible once again and begin at the very beginning, Lord, would you give us a fresh hunger for your word and a willingness to hear your word and apply it to our lives. God, we're nothing apart from you. We're poor in spirit. We're bankrupt before you. We ask that you would do a work in our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to understand you and then also give us the power to live out these things in our lives. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Major, 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 major truths in Genesis chapter 1. I can't think of more fundamental truths in one chapter, or more truths that are contested. We're going to hit some really important things about who God is tonight and about who we are as well. The questions of how did I get here and what's my purpose uh, for being here? God in his infinite wisdom knew that we would contest him on creation, that we would contest him on gender. So he lays it out for us very clearly that he's the creator of the universe, that he's created us in his image for his purposes. He's created us male and female. We're going to see the nature of God. We're going to see the gospel in this chapter. We're going to see creation, debunking evolution. We're going to see the purpose of humanity. As far as the book of Genesis itself, a little bit of background, is the word Genesis means beginning. So the title of the book comes from the very first verse, in the beginning God. So it speaks of beginnings. It's the book of beginnings. Genesis is quoted 153 times in the New Testament. Also, we find a very concise outline of the book of Genesis. The first 11 chapters we see primitive history or the beginning of humanity. And there's four major events. There's creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. So four major events in the first 11 chapters. Creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. And then from chapter 12 all the way to the end of the book, 
chapter 50, we see patriarchal history or the beginnings of the nation of Israel. And there's four major characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And I love their stories. I think we're going to be so blessed as we see God revealed through the life of Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So four major events and four major people, and you've got the book of Genesis. You might be saying, Eric, you went through that so fast. I don't even know what you just said. We'll spend a lot of time on it in the weeks to come. The human author of the book of Genesis is Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch. Jesus quotes from Moses' writing and ascribes them to Moses. So with confidence, we know that Moses wrote this section of Scripture. Why did Moses write these five books? That's an important question to ask. Because he was preparing the children of Israel to go into the promised land. He knew that he wasn't going into the promised land, and so he wanted to prepare them with the knowledge and understanding of God. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. Beginning speaks of a starting point. There's a starting point for creation. There's a starting point for Adam and Eve, for humanity. In the beginning, God. However, God is already in existence. God is the one doing creation, but he has not been created. What we find here in these first verses of Genesis is God doesn't try to explain his existence. He doesn't give us the reasons for his existence. The very nature that he exists is enough. God doesn't apologize, nor does he seek to explain himself. It's more as if God is saying, here I am, and here's what I've done. You can choose to accept or reject. So in the beginning, God created. The word created, it means to cut out or to form, to create something. We're going to see that God speaks and things came into existence. The world came into existence. The amazing creative power of God where he creates the heavens and he creates the earth. And verse 1 is the large view, the panoramic view of this creation story And then the rest of the chapter, going into chapter 2, we get the close-up. And the close-up gives us more detail of creation and what God did on the specific days. There's four foundational truths I want us to meditate on tonight as we go through this chapter. So if you're taking notes, the first is this. This is the first foundational truth, is that God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. Is it important to believe about God that he created the heavens and the earth? I suggest yes. And I believe that the Bible teaches us yes. In Romans chapter 1, you might want to write that down and study that more later as well. We see a soul that is spiraling downward. The degeneration of the soul. And one of the things that kicks that off is they knew God as God, but did not glorify him as such. They reject God being the creator. And God says creation in and of itself points to God's attributes. So even apart from the scripture, someone should be able to look at creation and believe in God and believe that God had created us. Design demands a designer, doesn't it? You look at 
your phone, you look at your water bottle, you look at intricate design or simple design, and if there is design, there has to be a designer. So God says by looking at creation, we should be able to see that there is a creator. Here's the important part of this truth. If you don't believe that God is the creator, you have taken something from the character of God. We have made God too small. We don't want to add to the scriptures, but we also don't want to take away from the scriptures. And God very clearly here states that he is the creator. And in very distinct detail that he is the creator. So for me to reject that God is the creator is taking something away from his character. But also, if we deny that God is the creator, we're taking value away from what he has created. You may not even realize it, but you're taking value away from who you are. Because you're saying now that you've evolved from animals, or you don't know how you got here, or you don't know if there is a creator, and all of a sudden, our value has gone way down. From over here being created by God, to now I've evolved from animals, or I'm not sure how I got here, and how you view yourself diminishes if you don't believe that God is creator, but also how you view others goes out the window as well, doesn't it? Because instead of seeing others as being created by God, well, they simply evolved. They were the survival of the fittest. To me, to be a biblical Christian, what I mean by that is a Christian who follows the word of God, believes the word of God, you have no choice but to accept that God is the creator. Because he told us that he's the creator, but also we observe it. We observe creation and we go, man, there's so much design here. There has to be a designer. It's a foundational truth. Verse 2, the earth was, was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So now Moses starts to give us a more detailed account of creation. And the spirit of God is hovering over darkness, hovering over the earth without form and void. And in this, we ultimately will see the gospel. We'll see the Holy Spirit is hovering over our lives that before we knew Christ as our Savior was it without form and without void and was dark. But yet the Holy Spirit was working in our lives. Can you see the Spirit of God working in your life before you receive Christ as your Savior? So in this story of creation, we also see the gospel unfold. In verses three and four, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. So as God is creating, he gives commentary on his creation. He says, this is good. I created light, and it is good. The second foundational truth that we see right away here in Genesis is this, that God's a triune being. God is a triune being. We've seen the Father, we've seen the Spirit, and we've seen the Son in verses 3 and 4. And you're saying, well, where do we see Jesus in verses 3 and 4? Then God said, let there be light. And in John 1, 1, we see one of the titles that's given to Jesus is that he's the Word. Let me read this to you. This is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning, you see the tie-in to Genesis chapter 1? The word 
which is Jesus, was with God and was God. So Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the spoken word of the Father. So as the Father said, Jesus, the word, creates. So in the midst of creation, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together for there to be light, for all the things that we're going to read in this chapter. Why is it important to understand that God is a trinity? Three distinct persons, but yet one God. Because we're not going to care about relationships if we don't understand that God is relational. God in and of himself is a relationship. God in and of himself has fellowship, the Father with the Son and, and with the Holy Spirit. And we're made in the image of God. So we're created for relationship with God and we're created for relationship with one another. The third major truth is God has always had the gospel in mind. God's always had the gospel in mind. Here is God is creating. He's painting a picture of the gospel. There's darkness. There's no form. There's no void. Our lives apart from Christ. The Spirit's hovering. The Father's commissioning. The Father is the one that's setting in motion creation. And the Father's the one who set in motion the gospel. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And then the Son is in submission to the Father. As the Father speaks, then Jesus makes it happen. And the first thing that God creates is light. If you go on in John 1, we see the Word is also the light that has come into our darkness. The light, Jesus Christ... His life, his death, and resurrection is the light that comes into our darkness and provides salvation. I would imagine that in some areas of our lives this evening, we're discouraged about the darkness. We're discouraged of the void and the emptiness. Even in our own lives as believers and those that we love and those that don't know Christ as our Savior. And thankfully, God doesn't leave us in that empty place. He doesn't leave us without hope. The Spirit's working. The Spirit's hovering. Jesus died for that sin. He died to enter into that darkness, to bring hope and to bring life. Next week, we'll study Adam and Eve's fall. It wasn't a surprise to God. God knew that Adam and Eve would fall, but yet he chose to create them because Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. This is God's economy. This is God's message to send his son to save us. And we see the gospel depicted right in these first few verses. We start to get into the detail of creation. I was thinking about this today. Why did God create the world in this way? Where on this day he made this and on this day he made that. Didn't he have the power to be able to say, let it be done and it was done? Could have happened in just a moment, but instead he chose to do it this way to cause us to be in awe of his creation and the detail of his, his creation. So God wanted it to happen exactly this way. In verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. 
So as God creates light and darkness, he creates a 24-hour period, calls the darkness evening, and then the daytime, the morning, was the first day. The word day in Hebrew through the rest of the Bible refers to a 24-hour period. Now there's some that read the Genesis account and think that a day doesn't mean a 24-hour period, that God didn't create the world in six literal days, and maybe it was a process of thousands of years, maybe it was a process of millions uh, of years, but it seems very clearly as you read this, the flow of the text that God has made a 24-hour period. And we're going to see why that theory doesn't hold up in just a moment. In verse 6, Then God said, Let there be firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from, from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters, which were under the firmament from the waters, which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. So the second day, God separates the water in the sky, the water in the, the atmosphere, and the water that is on earth. And the third day, then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and so it was. And God called the dry land earth, and gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So in the third day, he separates the sea from the land. He creates the land, and he creates the sea. Then God said, this is continuing on the third day, let the earth bring forth grass. The herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and so it was. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. This is where we see life. God brings these plants into existence on the third day. Why the third day? What was the day that Christ rose from the dead? The third day. Bringing eternal life to those who would believe. Guys, this is amazing that God made the fruit, the plants, the herbs, and in itself, they contain the seed. Maybe you've had an apple recently, you ate it down to the core possibly, or cut it and then cut the seed out. But that seed is inside of that fruit for more fruit to be created. And that's God's design. That's what God set up uh, for us. In the creation of the grass, the herbs, and the fruit, you'll notice a phrase that we'll see again, according to its kind. This debunks evolution because fruit continues to reproduce according to its kind. An apple produces an apple. An orange produces an orange. And if evolution were true, it wouldn't stay inside of its kind. Again, God in his wisdom knew that we would contest this, and he has recorded it for us, that when he created things, he created them inside of its kind. Inside of the species of dogs, as dogs mate with each other, you have a variation but you still have a dog, right? 
And if evolutionary, evolution was true, we would see these transitional forms uh, take place. And so God, in creating things, created them according to his kind. In verse 14, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And so it was. Poof. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the earth and over the night and to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. God liked what he'd created. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars to control signs and seasons and to give us the way to chronicle years. Now let's pause for just a moment, okay? Let's say that a day is not a 24-hour literal period, that a day could be a thousand years. That's really conservative once you start go down this road of uh, this theory. So let's just say that a day was a thousand years. Well, what happened on the third day, church? The plants, right? You have all the plants. When did the sun come? The fourth day, right? So you've got a problem. How are all of these plants going to survive if you don't have the sun? So let's take another theory, theistic evolution, that God set evolution in process. So evolution's true, but God's the one who put that in motion. You have a very difficult evolutionary process if you've got plants before you've got the sun, and you have a long period of time where these plants have to try to not only live, but evolve without the sun. Everything in this creation order makes a lot of sense, logically, from a logical order, until you get to here. You know, God does the sea, God does the land, then he put plants there. But why does God do the sun after he put the plants here? I think to show us that he's the creator and he's the sustainer, and he did this in a succinct uh, period of time. Let's, for appreciation, just think about God creating the sun, God creating the stars, God creating the moon. The sun's diameter is... 864,938 miles. This is almost 10 times larger than the planet Jupiter and about 109 times as big as the Earth. The volume of the sun is 1.3 million times bigger than the volume of the Earth. About 1.3 Earths could fit inside of the sun. And God spoke that into existence. From what we know, the Hubble spacecraft has helped us to see and understand the universe in a much greater way, and we have no idea how many galaxies are out there. We're one galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, but they they estimate from what they know from the Hubble spacecraft that there's 125 billion galaxies, but there's more beyond that. And in a moment, God speaks this into existence. This shows us the power of God. This shows us the majesty of God. So verse 20. You guys doing okay? Fascinating stuff here. 
And God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly around the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abound according to their kind. There it is, according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, speaking to the animals, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply in the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And so it was. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind. Cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So God creates the birds to fill the skies. Creates all of the sea creatures. Amazing, right? Then creates the cattle and creates the creeping things, all of the insects. God's creation is amazing when we look at just these categories. Sea creatures are so fascinating. Insects are so fascinating. We estimate that approximately right now today on the earth, there's 10 quadrillion insects that are alive. Is that comforting or concerning? (laughs) Right? We know that there's over 1 million different species of insects. There's some experts that think there could be as many as 10 million species out there. Let's just take the known species of insects that there's, there's 1 million. God, boom, he speaks it, and it is. The fifth day of creation. The sixth day of creation, then God said, let us make man in our image. This is the crowning jewel of God's creation. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this is the fourth major truth, and it's that God has created us in his image. We see that clearly repeated in these verses. God has created us in his image. Jesus was asked, should we pay taxes? It was kind of a loaded question for Christ. And what was his answer? He said, let me see a coin. Whose image is on this coin? They say, Caesar. Render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, but render to God the things that belong to God. What was he saying? Caesar's image is imprinted on this coin, but the image of God is imprinted upon you. So we have this big idea that God created the heavens of the earth, but now we have very personal that we are made in God's image. 
that humanity is made in God's image, that there is a difference between men and women than the animals. So what does this mean to be made in God's image? God's a triune being. We're a triune being. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit, and that reflects the image of God. And I want for you in this moment to try to make this personal. Maybe you have believed this, that God has created humanity in his image, but have you believed this about yourself? Have you received this from the Lord that I'm made in the image of God, that God has designed me and he has created me in his image? Because it's important for you to understand that about yourself, that you're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. But then also to consider this of everyone that's around you, everyone that's in your life, whether very personally or at a distance, everyone who has ever existed has been made in the image of God. Whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, they're made in the image of God. Even someone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, they're made in God's image, and they bear his stamp whether they realize it or not. So, I should place value on them, shouldn't I? Whether they see themselves that way or not, whether they're acting like it or not, whether they deserve it or not, is to say, you were created by God. And you were created by God in his image, so I am treating you with value. Now this goes further when Jesus dies upon the cross for our sins. So if you're questioning if you're loved by God, if you're valued by God, you're created in his image for whom Christ died. Allow that to sink in for just a moment. But then also all of the people in our lives to say they're created in God's image for whom Christ died. Jesus died for the sins of the world. It's an invitation for them to be able to receive Christ their Savior. Now, whether they receive that invitation or not through faith, That's up to them, but God has created them and Jesus has died for them. This is really, really important. Evolution robs you from this worldview. Do you understand this? So if you hold to evolution that you evolved and you weren't created by God, how are you bearing the image of God and how are you seeing value for yourself and value for others? What that worldview does teach is the survival of the fittest. So what does it matter if you step over someone else, you conquer someone else, you thrive over someone else who, who is weak, you dominate them? That's, that's evolution. That's the survival of, of the fittest. But we can know this from an up here type of view, but we need to know this from a heart view. Say, Lord, would you plant this deep within me that I understand that I'm made in your image And those around me are made in your image. And am I treating them such? Then there's several things from verse 26 through 28 that really describe to us what it means to be made in his image. The first is, let us make them in our image. Notice, let us. In the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, the word is Elohim. It's a name for God. And it's plural, it means three or more. So here we find a mystery. God is one God, but is referring to himself in the plural, the mystery of the Trinity. We are a triune being as well. The next thing that we see to be made in the image of God is it says that God 
created us male and female. He created them. Now, we'll get into this next week of a more detailed account of the creation of Adam and the creation of Eve. But as you're looking at all of God's creation, there's male and female in the animal kingdom. Male and female. And it's pretty obvious. There's a male, right? There's a female. Here's Adam. Here's Eve. Okay, they don't look alike. They have different anatomy, male and female. It's so obvious that you wouldn't think that you'd have to state it. That you wouldn't have to write it down. That you wouldn't have to state that being made in the image of God is that we're created male and female. But once again, God in his infinite wisdom knew that we would contest gender. So God wants to be very clear that he's the author of gender. That he's made us male and he's made us female. Now, men and women are really different, aren't they? Not only are our bodies different and our anatomy is different, but the way we think is different. The way we process is different. Most of the time, and these are generalizations, but men tend to process inwardly and come home and tell their wives things like, okay, we're moving to St. Louis. Well, where did that come from? Well, I've been thinking about it for 10 years. <laughs> Why didn't you say anything about it, right? Well, I had to get it all figured out first in my mind before I laid it out. And the wife's like, well, couldn't I be a part of this process? I don't really like St. Louis, right? And then women tend to process outwardly. And they're sharing their feelings with us. And men, your wife's going to share your feelings. And we're hearing this and we're thinking, oh, this is happening because we're trying to solve something here. We're trying to make progress, right? And our wives are not necessarily to that point. They may be, but more than anything else, they're wanting us to enter into the conversation, to hear what they're saying, and to process outwardly with them. And for us, it's like, like, what are we doing here? I don't understand this. Like, I love you, and I want to help, right? Like, if you love me, then you'll just listen to me. Okay, I'll try, right? So I have three daughters and and one son, and they are different. From the very get-go, they are different. After having little girls as infants and as soon as they were born and and holding them, I mean, just sweet, petite, beautiful, oh, cuddly. And then here comes our son. It's like, oh my, he is made different. Like from the first time we held him, it's like, man, God engineered this guy as a tank, you know, with some some toughness uh, about him, right? When they're little and they're playing in their rooms with the girls, there's lots of words that were coming out of their their rooms. And they're talking and you're thinking, man, one of their sisters must be in there with them. And you look inside and no sister's in there, right? They're just having a great time playing and talking. And I've been amazed at all of our three daughters, their vocabulary at such a young age. And then our son Wyatt, when he was little and he's playing in, in his room, there's no words coming out of his, his room, right? It's just bang it, blow it up, explosion type of sounds that are happening in his room. Like, we are different. You know, God has created us male and female, and this is beautiful by God's design. This is the way God intended it. And if we take away male or we take away female, we have diminished the image of God. Male and female together declare the image of God. 
Ladies, you declare the image of God being female. Men, you declare the image of God being male. Why would Satan attack gender? Why would Satan want society to believe there's no such thing as male? There's no such thing as female. Because Satan doesn't like the image of God. He doesn't want God represented. He doesn't want God seen. So he wants people to see gender as being something bad or being something that you can change. And if you're wrestling with your gender and you're thinking, you know, I don't really like being male. I don't really like being female. Ultimately, you're wrestling with God because that's not something we can choose. When we were created, when we were engineered in the womb, God decided, all right, you're going to be a boy. All right, you're going to be a girl. And so for us to go to God and say, well, I don't really like being female. I don't really like being male, so I'm going to to change this. It's really not a war with culture. It's not a war with parents or any other thing. It's a war with God at a very core level that says, I don't agree when you designed me this way. Now, I want to try to speak to your hearts because Unfortunately, Satan tries to come in and bring a lot of perversion in this area. And there may be a lot of hurt in your life. There may be a lot of confusion in your life. And a lot that's brought you to this place where you are wondering about your gender. And I want you for a second to take your mind off of gender and put your attention upon God. And to think about who God is. Is God someone that you can trust? Is God good? Does God make mistakes? And say, okay, if I understand who God is, that he's good and that he doesn't make mistakes, then I can trust in the fact that he has designed me male or he has designed me female. But from the truth of scripture and the bottom of my heart, you are going to be blessed as you walk in the design in which God has made you. You're going to be swimming upstream if God has created you female and you want to be male. You're going to be swimming upstream if God's created you male and and you want to be female. Now, this is not hate speech, right? I don't hate you because I'm saying these things. God doesn't hate you because he's saying these things. This couldn't really be more clear, from God's perspective. He laid it out. I've created you male and female. This is God's love for us. This is love speech. This is God saying, look, I've designed you this way for my glory. Now, for us as believers, we should be able to have a loving conversation with people about this to help them understand God's love. This should not cause something inside of you that we get angry or we get hateful or we say mean things or we don't uh, treat people uh, with respect. We should be able to lovingly, calmly be able to say, let's talk about these things. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1 together. So a clear part of being made in God's design is that he made us male and female And inside of male and female, he's given us distinct roles and distinct responsibilities 
that through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we walk in those roles and we walk in those responsibilities, God's glorified. And we're going to see that more as we get into chapters 2 and 3. Also, part of being made in God's image is that we're to be fruitful and multiply. In context, what is this speaking about? God's speaking about children. He's created Adam and Eve. He's instituted the first marriage. He's told the animal kingdom to go for it. We just read that in a few verses prior. He says, be fruitful and multiply. All these creatures, I want you to have more creatures and and reproduce. Then he creates Adam and Eve, and it's good. And he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And part of God's design, male and female, that only male and female works for reproduction, right? It's that union together that results in the amazing, beautiful creation of a child. Being made in God's image, we have the ability to create. And having a child is the greatest form of creation that we get to experience. A man and a woman coming together in intimacy and sex, God blessing with conception, 23 chromosomes from mom, 23 chromosomes from dad, and this tiny life begins as a small dot inside of the womb, and God knits them together in the womb, and then delivery happens, and amazing, right? So what's your perspective and worldview on children? They're a blessing from the Lord. If you're married, pray about, seek God's heart on if he would have you to have children, because God's saying, go for it. Be fruitful and multiply. In the Psalms, it says that children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a reserved blessing from the Lord. I don't think that there's a a mandate on how many kids you're supposed to have, right? Some people think that birth control is not biblical, but it seems to be a, a system that we can manage. I don't know that the Lord is saying have 16 kids or 18 kids. If that's your conviction, the Lord bless you, you know. But I think there's freedom to have two kids or have four kids, those type of things. But catch the heart of God. The heart of God is that children are a blessing, to be fruitful and to multiply. The last thing that we see about being made in God's image is that we have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God is a creator, but God is also a leader manager. God has dominion over us. And as he creates Adam and Eve and he creates mankind, he creates us with the ability to have dominion, to take leadership over a creation and to be a good steward. So part of being made in God's image is that we take care of things. And hopefully we do it to the glory of God, that we take care of creation that God has entrusted to us that we seek to see things be under dominion so that God could be glorified. Creation, specifically in this context, is a a resource that can be managed. And as it's managed properly, it can bring forth a great fruit. So I have some axes to grind in this area, but I'll probably save it for my own personal thoughts. Well, it's Wednesday night. I'll just go for it. So I grew up in Southern Oregon. There's lots of beautiful trees there. And there's a lot of people that really love the trees. And I love the trees as well. They're amazing. The forests are, are phenomenal. But do you realize that the trees 
are a resource that's been given to us by God to manage. So what happens with a forest if you don't manage it? It grows and grows and grows and grows and grows, and then you have a terrible forest fire that burns down. Now, I'm not for clear-cutting, going to a mountain and cutting down every tree. I don't think that's responsible. But you can log trees responsibly, and it's healthy for the forest, and it's healthy for mankind. Man gets a benefit from logging the tree, and the forest gets a benefit from having a tree cut down. But when you worship the creation more than the creator, you can never cut down a tree, right? Because you've just killed a tree, right? But God says that he's a creator, that he designed us to have dominion, so manage that resource. If you don't manage it and you don't use it, it's going to be burned up. It's literally what we're seeing take place throughout the West. When I was growing up, the spotted owl became a big deal in Oregon, and because of that, the logging rules changed, and all of these logging towns in southern Oregon, where I was from, they, they went out of business, they didn't exist, and basically the, the laws at that time were saying, look, you can't manage the forest, because if you log, then you're going to kill the spotted owls, so we just need to leave the forest alone, and you get these giant uh, forest fires. I may be completely wrong on that, but what I do know is that we're to have dominion over creation, that we're to have leadership over uh, creation. So let's look at the last few verses and we'll be done. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all of the earth, and every tree who bears fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food, also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I've given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was good, very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So God says, look, I've created this for you. Enjoy it. It was good. And every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. And he fills our mouth with good things. Two questions to consider. How do I see God? How do I see God? Do I see God as the creator? Do I believe God to be the creator? Do I see God as the author of the gospel? Why did God create all of this? Why did he create Adam and Eve? Knowing that Adam and Eve would sin. Knowing that he'd have to send his son. As we see the creation story before Adam and Eve sinned, God comes and talks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He created Adam and Eve for a relationship with himself. Jesus died upon the cross and rose again so that we could be in relationship with God. Do you see God as the creator who's the author of the gospel who wants to be in relationship with you? And maybe you haven't received Christ as your savior. You haven't come to that place of trusting the gospel, of believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. Christ wants to come into your darkness with the light of his love and to turn from sin, to turn to Christ and believe, Jesus, you died for me and you rose again. The most important part of Genesis 1 is how you see God. What's your view of God? And then the second question is, how do I see myself and others? Do I believe I'm a mistake? Do I believe I'm a loser? Or do I believe I'm made in God's image? 
for whom Christ died. And to allow that to sink in. And then to also allow that to hit our hearts when it comes to how we view others. As we take communion tonight to stop and consider, wow, God, you created me. I'm not here by accident. And you love me. You died for me. You sent your son to die for me. And not only have you created me, but you've created all who are in existence. You died for all who are in existence. Isn't it amazing that God would cover so many foundational truths in such a few short verses? Maybe you have been struggling and wrestling with gender and the gender in which God has has created you. Accept the design that God has created and allow the truth to set you free. And say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to fight you on this. I'm not going to question you on this. I'm going to trust that you didn't make a mistake and your glory is going to be expressed through the gender in which you have created me. If you're a grandparent or a parent, I think we need to be having these discussions with our kids because the world is, right? You really can't turn on too much media or music without a different message being portrayed. And if you don't adopt the world's view, you're hateful, right? And it's a hard topic to enter into with kids, but to realize that 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 conversation is, is happening from an untruthful perspective. If we opt out, they're not gonna hear it from a truthful perspective. And it's part of the light dispelling the darkness as we're able to talk about God's design. Talk about it from the sense, and I think this is important for the framework of the whole discussion with gender, of man, how good God's design is. Man, didn't God make a good design? Isn't this male-female thing cool, right? And see how this points to the glory of God and it bears uh, the image of God. So let's pray together and celebrate communion. Father, we love you. We thank you that you want to be in relationship with us. That you set creation into motion. You spoke all things into existence. That you sent your son to die for our sins. And the darkness that we wrestle with inside of us, that you've paid the price to be in our lives and to change us and to transform us. And Lord, may we understand in a greater way what it means to be created in your image, to be loved by you, and to see others as such. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.